Hey, y'all, if you're enjoying this podcast, take two seconds, send it to five friends. Um, some of the top episodes would be the self-confidence, masculinity, and the Byron Rogers podcast if you want to send uh, some of the top ones to them. Otherwise, just take 30 seconds and review it on whatever podcast uh, application you use, whether it be Spotify, YouTube, Google, iTunes, Amazon, any of them. Thank you. Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws... Well, they both look pretty badass, and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge. When you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees, look at AssaultLimited.com. Also sponsoring today's podcast is Urban Savage, U-R-B-N-S-V-G.com. The best quality apparel available. American-made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny. The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out urbnsvg.com. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best kit secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3 eqip.com a3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion a lip balm a hair conditioner honestly anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3 eqip.com proceed with caution all doctors to the er do these guys have any idea what they are talking about talking about talking about Get squared away. Spiritual. Get squared away. Emotional. Get squared away. Mental. Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. All right, guys, we're back with another episode of the Squared Away podcast. Uh, this one's going to be an exciting one, especially because we're going to come from a different angle of the of the physical. Um, I know I talk to Aaron a little bit about what the squared away philosophy is, but uh, one of the big pillars and, and one that we focus on a lot is the physical uh, along with the spiritual, the mental and the emotional. But um, I'm still from old school where we need to stretch to keep our flexibility up so that we don't get old and not mobile. And when I came across um, Yogi Aaron here, he wrote a book that says uh, basically stretching is going to kill you. So why don't you kind of give us your background, Aaron, and just kind of introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, well, thanks a lot, Paul um, and Martin, for having me here. I've been doing yoga since I was 18. I um, got into yoga really because I wanted to stretch just like you wanted to do. And I thought like yoga would be a great way to do that. I was always a very active um, teenager 
and to this day, I still like in my, at least in my mind, I'm very active <laughs> and I, but like most people, they start, I started noticing I get, got, was getting tight. And then I started doing yoga as a way to loosen myself up. But one of the things that happened really quickly was that I started injuring myself. And of course, in the yoga world, you injure yourself. What do you do? More yoga, because that's the solution. And I was kind of laughed because you go to a yoga teacher and you say, oh, teacher, I've got a pain in my shoulder, right? What does that teacher do? They stretch it out. Oh, we've got to open that shoulder. And, you know, you being in the fitness world, you kind of know like, okay, what does an open shoulder mean? That actually means a dislocated shoulder, which is not how we really want people to be in life. And so it took me, I mean, I'm kind of a little embarrassed now to say this, but, you know, it's also kind of, it makes me more compassionate to people that take as long as I do to get, you know, to where I got. But it took me 25 years to figure out like, maybe this stretching business isn't good for me because it was just very cyclomatic. I would hurt myself, do more yoga. I would sort of feel good, um, which I can kind of now explain why I started feeling good was basically because I just rested and didn't do anything. Um, and then I ended up in a surgeon's office around the age of 45 who was saying to me, like, you're going to need to do a spinal fusion in your lower back probably. And, um, and I actually had to go in for a procedure because at that moment, there was such an inflammatory process in my lower back due to a herniated disc. And it was then and there that I kind of vowed, I need to A, find a different way and B, I can't stretch anymore. And, and since then, I mean, for the last five, six years, I really haven't stretched at all and I haven't taught stretching um, at all. So it's kind of taken me down this, you know, interesting journey, but, you know, so many people, I think like, we're just so fixated on, okay, we need to stretch in order to have mobility, but we forget some of the very primary tenets of muscle function, which is muscles need to shorten, you know, in their, in their best state, they're shortening properly. You know, Greg, my teacher says that, the definition of a healthy muscle is a muscle that can contract and contract on demand. Um, that there's there's no conscious like tendency or need to contract. The muscle will just contract when it needs to contract. And so in the absence of a muscle contracting and contracting properly, there's a lack of stability. And when there's lack of stability, there's always an opportunity for injury, which is what led me to the doctor's office. <laughs> That's it in, in a, the short story. <laughs> yeah. And, and when I, when I started to open up some of your stuff and listen to it, it started to like, it, it, like we all do, right. We're human beings and we take this stuff and we try to think about our, about our own body when we're, when we're learning about it. And I'm starting to think, and I know like when I, when I, uh, when I injure a muscle from lifting, I know that it, that it, it keeps it tight and it firm and it keeps it kind of fired and and just like it wants to hold that shoulder in because it wants to heal right and that's you talked about a lot of that in in I think you know episode two or three of your, of your podcast and I started thinking about it and it's like oh well then my, a lot of my other muscles which I consider tight which I think oh you know my hamstrings are really tight I need to stretch oh. them out Th these really it makes perfect sense that they're, they're not necessarily tight. They're just always firing. Mm -hmm. 
I, I mean, there's a bit to unpack in that statement. I, I mean, sometimes um, the muscle just goes into like this tonic state where it's just over contracting all the time. And you hear people like a good example of that. Well, maybe it's not a good example of that, but is like the psoas muscle. And so you can go online on YouTube and find probably thousands of videos of people professing how to um, help a psoas to relax. And basically it's by stretching it. So the muscle is like in a, in a tightened state, like it's just contracting, contracting, contracting. And part of the reason for that is because the brain is sensing instability in the body. So like you go and walk on ice, you know, and what do you do? You tighten up, right? So it's the body's natural protective mechanism to, to protect itself, to try to maintain some sense of stability. And the wrong thing to do is to try and force that muscle to come into a lengthened state. What we should be doing is actually asking ourselves the better question, where is the instability? Where is the source of the instability? So if the, if the psoas is tight, just talking about the psoas for a moment, um, or it's just not working properly, and it shows up, by the way, as not working properly because a lot of people end up having back pain. And the psoas is one of the number one, um, and of course, there's a lot of other muscles, okay? So uh, I'm not saying it's the only one, but there's a lot of other muscles involved, but it's one of the primary res muscles responsible for maintaining that lordotic curve in the lumbar spine, if you don't have that lordotic curve, your spine is always in flexion. And that's what it starts to exacerbate like herniated discs, which most people are suffering from. So we should be asking the question like, well, what is the opposite muscle to the psoas? If we want the muscle, the psoas to relax, what is it? What is the agonist to the psoas? Well, it's the glutes. So we should be focusing on actually getting the glutes to start working. And then the psoas can go, oh, Okay, now I can relax. <laughs> yeah, and that that was I. I love that you brought up the psoas because I I know what the psoas muscle is, but a lot of people don't even know where that muscle is and what it what it does. And let's face it, like we're a sitting society. Even though a lot of us work out a lot, we we sit and do our work. We sit while we drive. We sit well. I mean, we sit all the time, and that has yeah. such a problem. We just kind of give people because I guarantee half the people that are listening to this podcast are like wait I have lower back pain right and yeah. like if it's not their hip flexors it's their psoas so we yeah. just kind of tell them where the psoas is and just kind of explain what you mean by like trying to get this to to loosen up and trying to get the the, the glutes to to strengthen everything yeah um so the psoas is one of the primary hip flexors and if you don't know what a hip flexor is it's like if you're standing or lying down on your back and you draw your knee or you you bring your knee uh, without using your arms, you bring your knee towards your chest. So that's like hip flexion. And the primary, there's, there's several hip flexors. There's quite a few hip flexors, but the primary hip flexor that does that motion is the psoas. So if the psoas isn't working um, and then, you know, other muscles are going to be recruited to start taking over. So the psoas is an interesting muscle. It attaches to the femur bone. It's the only muscle that attaches to the femur bone and connects to the spine. Um, no other muscle does that. And, um, you know, you have to be careful, Paul, because I can talk an hour on this. <laughs> so if I talk too much. No, but and, and I get like, I, 
I, it's it's so it you when you bringing up so as I was like oh this is like the this is the one if there's any one that we need everybody to like understand this is the one because that that tight hip lower back pain is like I mean it's it's worse than smoking now I think honestly well and also too like I brought up the glutes in my humble opinion this is just my opinion I really believe like you know with the most lower back pain can be traced to the glutes and the psoas not working. And in my book, I talk about how in, in podcast, how these kind of two people, these, sorry, these two muscles are responsible, like they're the shock absorbers of the body. And so as we're going through different ranges of motion, we're walking around in life, we're banging up our body, doing whatever we're doing. If these shock absorbers are not working, well, then the axle breaks. And what is the axle? Well, it usually shows up in the knees or in the lower back. And me being a hiker, I've suffered terribly from both back issues and especially knee issues. And the simple thing, I mean, I've, I obviously I do a few re- exercises, but the number one thing I always do now before I go hiking or even walking now is just make sure my psoas is activated and my glutes are activated. Um, so the psoas is as I mentioned, is attached to the lumbar spine, but it's the only muscle that also attaches in anteriorly. That means like the front part of the lumbar spine. It's the only muscle that's doing that. And so it's, it's, it's a really important muscle to make sure that it's engaged because muscles do two jobs. They hold joints in place and they move bones and they have to do that by shortening, by contracting. And so if they're not contracting properly, then you have like an unstable lumbar spine, which then, you know, in your world, more in your world, these bodybuilders that are going through different ranges of motion, if their psoas isn't working, then it starts to create problems like in the joints, the hip joints, and then the lumbar spine. And we see that, and we see evidence of that instability because a lot of bodybuilders have to compensate by wearing these, you know, weight belts and sometimes knee braces. And so those are all different um, uh, forms of compensation, which by the way, I'm not saying is a bad thing. I'm just pointing it out. And, um, and so the goal then it should be, you know, yes. Okay. Maybe we need to use these different compensations, but let's make sure those muscles are working properly. So we have more stability. Yeah. I think it's, so uh, Oh, go ahead, Martin. What, what's a, uh... I guess a simple thing for our listeners to, I guess, picture, I can't picture activating the psoas. Uh, what's, what's something they can do that, I don't know, it's going to be hard for them to, to hear without showing it probably. <laughs> lots of lots of pictures, there's, pictures there's with words. Few. Mental um, pictures. In my book, I go through a few, but one of my big hacks, which is something a lot of, I think, um, bodybuilders do, or, or at least gym people do, um, is you are lying on your back. And you um, bring your, you bend your knees and you bring your knees just above your hips with your feet off the ground. So your, your legs are at 90 degrees from your hips, right? And then you just bring your hands towards your knees. You don't reach the hands to the knees. You just bring them towards your knees and then press your knees into your hands. And that's kind of like one of my global muscle activations for hip flexors it kind of gets into the hip flexors and a little bit of uh, trunk flexors as well. So it kind of hits, you know, that's my hack for like a global muscle activation. And the yeah. rule of muscle activation or the guide, it's a better word is guide, is six seconds. So you hold it six seconds 
and then you relax and then you do it six times. So that would be definitely one thing. And, and, you know, Mart, Martin, when I've gone to my CrossFit classes, you know, sometimes I'm running light. I always do something, but that is definitely at the top of the list, especially if I don't have much time. I'm like, okay, there's a couple of hacks. There's, I try and do two, maybe three, if I don't have much time, that's one of them. Yeah. And the other one is definitely for the glutes. Um, if you're doing any kind of squats or lunges or um, anything, <laughs> you want to make sure yeah. your glutes are working properly. So a good one for the glutes is a simple one is just bridge pose. So lying again on your back, knees bent, knees underneath, sorry, uh, feet underneath your knees and feet about hip distance apart. Lift your hips up as high as you can and really squeeze the glutes. Take your arms up to the side so you're not using your arms to lift up. Again, six seconds, six times. Oh, man, but it's I just squatted this morning. <laughs> when you start doing these things, you can feel like that you have more power um, when, you're, when you're doing your exercises. Not that you can necessarily lift more. This is not a yeah. – I don't know that you're going to necessarily lift more but you will feel more stable and that you're bringing more of your body, if you will, to your exercises. Yeah. I think that's what happened this morning. Uh, Paul saw me static stretching before uh, squatting. So I felt like I was going to fall apart. I so, said after today, after today, <laughs> after you were going to be doing something totally different. Yep. <laughs> yep. Definitely be doing those two. So oh, thanks for the advice. <laughs> oh, you're I welcome. Think- you mentioned weight belts and knee wraps and stuff like that. And I think the way to look at that stuff is, is for, from a lifetime lifter is you should be building up to really close to maybe 75%, 60%, 80%, somewhere in there of your maxes with building all your stability muscles, with holding your core tight during a deadlift, with, with, with using your, you know, all of your stability muscles during these lifts. And then when you're going to go balls of the walls, you're going to go 90% one rep max. You're going to go 95% one rep max. Then like we're, we're not, we don't want to risk injury because if we risk injury, then all of a sudden we are three months behind where we could have been. So that's when we look at these kind of stability add-ons, right? Like if I had to deadlift 500 pounds without a belt, I could do it. But do I want to try it with the risk of what it could do if I kind of got unstable and I did tweak my back? No, I don't want to try that. I have no reason to try to not try that. So like you shouldn't have to have a belt to squat. You shouldn't have to have a belt to deadlift, but using it on your very heavy lifts makes perfect sense just mm-hmm. as a in case, right? It's like you buy insurance. We all have insurance. Sure. Doesn't mean I'm going to go out and crash into somebody, but it means in case I do, I have it. Yeah. I'm just, I mean, this is kind of getting out of my lane a little bit. So I'm going to tread carefully. Um, my teacher, if Greg was here, could give you a better explanation and go deeper into it. But, you know, as I, I'm, I've been starting my next course and studying, and one of the things that he brings up a lot is like how like orthopedics, ortho, or, did I say that right? Orthopedics, orthopodics. Orthopedics, yeah. <laughs> orthopedics, yeah. Is like, you know, when we start using these, these compensatory, you know, elements, it actually will cause more muscle weakness in the long run because we're not using the right muscles. 
So I think like, you know, again, it's not my lane, but if I was going to probably deadlift or, or, or lift a lot of weight, I probably would want some external support, but I wouldn't want to train like that because if you're no. training like that, you're going to inevitably create more weakness in the long run because muscles, if the body is going to sense like that external support and go, oh yeah, we don't have to use these muscles anymore. And, and then you're going to start actually probably overusing the wrong muscles, which is never good either. So that makes, what are your thoughts on, um, what are your thoughts on since you're against static stretching? Um, so I do a lot of, uh, inversion table Mm -hmm. and a lot of decompression. So isn't that a form of uh, static stretching? Okay. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, I'm going to tread very lightly here because I think that there is an, there is a time to do these kind of decompression table sort of passive um, long hold stretching. I, but, but I think the time for it is like 0.0005%. Like, so sometimes when you say there's a time for it, people then take that as like 90% rule rather than less than 1% rule. Um, so doing all of this kind of stuff is good. If, if you're basically going to the source of the problem with, with, with your back specifically, I'm assuming that you're doing it because there's a disc herniation. And so is the result of, of muscles that are basically not holding the spine in place. So anytime we stretch a muscle, we're going to actually create uh, more problems because we're a there's there's no proprioception between the brain and the muscle so you disconnect the brain from the muscle so you come out of that and i've had serious issues with my back as i said earlier i've ended up in the surgeon's office so i've had to work luckily i have a chiropractor he's i call him a holistic chiropractor but he has one of those kinds of tables you know he spent twenty five thousand dollars on and he puts me on it but there's been a few times when he will increase the tension and it's done in such a way that it's actually pulsating. So the idea is then you're, you're pumping fluid uh, and nutrients yeah. back into the disc material. But there's times when I've, when he said, okay, jump up and come over and I'm going to do some other stuff to your neck. And so he wants me to move to another table and I can barely lift myself off the table because all those, my brain is completely disconnected from those muscles. So anytime we stretch, we're going to create this disconnect. We're severing the connection between the brain and the muscle, uh, which is not what, you know, which is not how we want to move through life. And so what I would say is like, if you're doing some exercises afterwards that you really want to make sure that part of your program is, you know, getting the multifidus activated. Multifidus doesn't get enough press, but it's the one of the key muscles that holds the vertebrae in place. And so you really want to get the multifidus working, longissimus. You know, you want to get those back muscles working so they're stabilizing the joints of, of the back. But in terms of like, you know, um, you know, a decompression, I think those things really work they kind of, they're a temporary band-aid if you don't do the 
muscle strengthening practices. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's kind of like a long way of saying that. Like it, it's a short term solution only if you're not doing the other exercises. Speaking a lot from personal experience, by the way. <laughs> oh, no, it's good. I think but, one big thing with the inversion table too is just the relaxation, the mind mm -hmm. muscle relaxation that you get with the back muscles because you do go back and then all of a sudden once you're back, then it makes you consciously start to like, okay, relax from my neck, relax through my mid back, relax through my lower back. And you can feel that kind of pop, pop, relax, relax, but it's not necessarily stretching those muscles. It's just making them kind of relax and not be so tense so that anything else that can kind of fluctuate through where it needs to be, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah. But also too, like when, when the body is in that like recovery state, you've injured yourself. So in Martin's case, like he's injured his back. And so there's like all of this um, inflammation there. There's a lot of, I can't pull the word out right now, but it's basically when the, when the connective tissue starts to form to hold and lock those bones in place, because they're, they're, the muscles aren't doing their job. So the body starts to create other tissue to hold that together. And what you need to do is start breaking that up and start allowing the spine, literally the vertebrae to start opening up. I don't know how a better way to say that, but you want the vertebrae to open up and, and so that we can start creating some space for the disc to go back in and pump nutrients into it. But this is like, I think a very important point that you raised, like if we want muscles to relax again, it's better to start looking at where is the instability taking place. If the muscle is, is tense, if you've got a really tense muscle, like frozen shoulders is a good example. Like people get frozen shoulder because there's an instability and frozen shoulder syndrome happens because people feel that instability and they stop moving their arms so much and then the shoulder locks up. But I have actually put people on my table with frozen shoulders and actually worked on getting the muscles to start working properly. And all of a sudden their range of motion dramatically, I mean, dramatically improves. If you could do like a before and after you're looking at you know, 20 to 30% more range of motion, like within 20 to 30 minutes. Um, and that's not by me forcing a muscle. It's not by me stretching. All I'm doing is getting, you know, the key muscles. One of the key muscles, by the way, is serratus. So trying to get the serratus to start firing properly, getting the pecs to start firing properly. All of a sudden the body goes, oh, there's stability. And uh, now I can get more range of motion. Funny story really quick. I had a, um, one of my good friends, uh, Harriet, I got her on my table. Um, she was visiting me for Christmas and she had uh, problems in her left shoulder. And I said, okay, Harriet, let's check your range of motion. So I brought her through a couple ranges of motion. I never touched the shoulder for an hour and a half that I worked on her. I worked on her hips and her trunk rotators. And then all of a sudden I got her to move her arm and she got all this range of motion. I never touched the shoulder. All I did was I brought stability to other parts of the body. So when the body sends, when the body senses instability in other parts, it will start to tighten up everywhere. And the question again is like, okay, where is the instability? What muscles are not contracting properly? 
So this seems like such an art. How the how the hell do we find somebody that I mean, other than coming to Costa Rica and we're gonna get into that Costa Rica thing in a second. But other than coming to Costa Rica, how do we like find somebody that can look at me and go, Hey man, your hips are causing your head to sit sideways, right? Like <laughs> Well, I mean, there's there's a couple of answers. One of them is my background is is in muscle activation technique. Um, and I studied it with Greg Roscoff. I mentioned him a little bit earlier on. And Greg is the creator of muscle activation technique, which is, you know, the lane that he's teaching people to be in is like looking, learning to identify muscle weakness through different ranges of motion and then going in and addressing that muscle weakness by turning the muscle basically back on. When we're talking about turning muscles on, we're talking about improving that neuromuscular connection. So in improving, like sometimes I call it the phone line. There's a phone line between your brain and the muscle. And what's happened is that phone lines become compromised due to stress, trauma, and overuse. So you look at like you guys are bodybuilders. And so there's a lot of like stress and overuse that sometimes happens. Um, and so then, then bodybuilders need to, as we were just talking about, compensate to wear the, you know, the braces and the weight belts and that sort of thing. So one of the things that Greg does is teaches us how to do that. And, and then we go in and, and basically repair that phone line through the muscle activation uh, practices. Now, what he teaches is more of a manual um, activation by going in and, and palpating the muscle at the insertion and origin. And it's not as simple as that, by the way, for your listeners that like, oh, go, I'm going to go just do that. It's not that simple. But when I was in the MAT world, um, one of my very first questions was, who's taking this into yoga? Who's done this training and now is using this in a yoga world and or fitness world for that matter? And nobody was really doing it. Nobody was really translating it. So I started doing that for my own students. Um, and then that's kind of what led me into writing a book about it and, and putting it more out there because I really feel like, you know, if we can just get people to activate their muscles, like Martin, you were saying this morning that you could feel weaker by stretching and going into your program. It's like you, you, you can sense that. And so like, if we can get people to start activating before their workouts or before their runs or whatever their CrossFit program. I mean, we can like lessen the injuries, I think quite dramatically. For the record, I consider myself a power athlete. It's the best between <laughs> bodybuilding, powerlifting and CrossFit. Just, I want to get that out there. I'm not a bodybuilder, but so is there anybody like that you've trained that is in the Midwest? Oh, yeah. So what I was saying earlier, you asked me, like, how do we find this? So you can look for a muscle activation technique therapist. Um, and, and there's tons of them. Uh, I don't all over the Midwest. There's there's okay. a whole bunch. Yeah, you can find them. But what I've done is people can go and start just doing the muscle activations. Um, I've created a whole YouTube channel about it. I've created a book. People can start to um, look at themselves and the interesting thing is it doesn't happen overnight, but it happens very quickly that if you start using these things, you will start to be able to identify in your body when there's a weakness and what you should do about it. So I'll give you a quick example. I was out walking the other day and my inner groin tightened up on me 
And I was like, this is strange. Why is it tightening up? But I went, okay, well, that's adduction. And my adductors are tightening. So what's the opposite? Well, that's abductors. What is the primary abductor? The primary one is um, glute meat. So I did a very quick hack to get my glute meat activated. And it actually blew me away because not only the pain went away, um, but it didn't, it never came back. And that was like, so like even a few days later, like it just never surfaced again. So had I stretched it or ignored it, the pain would have gotten worse um, because I never addressed the instability. And then I just would have continued to create more stress, which would have created more trauma in my, in my body. So if you can learn to, you know, with this kind of idea and this way of thinking, you can start to diagnose yourself um, and, and then just do some simple things and, and try it out. And it takes a while to kind of learn that when I say a while, like anywhere from a couple of months, to, you know, or so, but once you start to get it, you start to become more sensitive to your own body and that's just invaluable, like, because I don't have muscle activation therapists to help me. So I have to do all this stuff for myself on myself. <laughs> Martin's been, Martin's been diagnosing himself for years. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Hey, we Good actually job. have muscle activation at the gym that we're at. Just we do? That, Paul. We do. Oh, so that. see, that's what I love, yeah. hate about this podcast. I love doing this podcast. I learn so much, but the list of shit that I have to like, oh, I got to learn about that now. Oh, look, I got to <laughs> learn about this now. Oh, I got to learn about this now. I'm like, I, where in the hell am I ever going to find all the time to learn about all this stuff? I need somebody to come and walk with me every day and be like, all right, you're not doing that and you need to eat that. And then we're going to go over here and we're going to read this. And then you, hey, remember that one thing? I'm like, I can't, I just, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's constant, constant work. incremental improvement. Yes. Now, Martin, so how, I'm how, really how, curious about the muscle activation they have in your gym. That's really cool. Sorry, oh, he left. Oh, Paul. Nope, I'm here. Are you there? Yeah. Martin's gone. Bye, Martin. <laughs> well, I don't know. He'll he'll be back. Um. So what what got you? What gave you the idea to write a book? You know, in the beginning of of 2022, I was sitting with this knowledge um, that nobody else was talking about. And I mean, you can look, turn on YouTube and it's constantly like, open your hips, open your shoulders. Um, literally, you have fitness trainers saying, we want to create space in the shoulder girdle. And, you know, I, I'm embarrassed for people now that say things like that because it just doesn't biomechanically make sense. Like, why do you, what is making space in your shoulder girdle mean? And so I was kind of like sitting with this and I was thinking to myself, like, you know, not a lot of people know about this. And I just felt like purpose was knocking at the door of my heart. And, um, and then a few people were like, you should write a book. And so it just kind of like snowballed from there. I just felt like I needed to step more into my purpose and just talk about this more. My goal in all of this, Paul, is just to start conversations and oh. hopefully get people to question a little bit more. So when their yoga teacher says oh. like, okay, let's open the hips or your fitness trainer comes up to you and says, we need to create space in your shoulders that you can start to go, 
you know what? I really don't want to create space in my shoulders. <laughs> Martin's back. I asked what oh. I, I asked what got Aaron yeah. into writing a book. What did that process look like? Um, so the process I had been de developing the process for a while um, in my teacher trainings, and so we just basically took all of that information that I'm doing in my teacher trainings and kind of translated it into a book. Um, my goal in the book, though, wasn't to be so um, heady or academic. <laughs> it was to be more fun. So there's a picture, you know, I hired an artist, an illustrator to help me with like the drawings. And we threw some pictures of my dogs and my cats in there as well, because um, I wanted it to be kind of fun. Um, and my goal in the book is for it to be more experiential. So like what I, what I call what I do is applied yoga anatomy. And I think like so many people, when they learn about anatomy, it's like so abstract. Um, it's outside of themselves. So my goal, like we're talking about the psoas, most of your listeners probably have to look at an app, but then they see the, they see the psoas there, but then they go, well, what does it feel like? And what does it do? And so part of really the impetus for my book wasn't so much like to educate people as to create an experience for people so they can go, oh yeah, if I do this, if I lie on my back and stick my finger into my gut between my pelvic bone and my navel center um, and come into it diagonally and then bring my knee, you know, towards my chest, I'm going to feel the psoas contracting. Ah, there it is. And if I do a certain exercise so many times, it's going to start activating. Um, so that's kind of a little bit of the process. So you, uh, you told us, or Martin mentioned how nice and bright it looks like where you are. Um, yes. You're in Costa Rica. How <laughs> yes. did you end up in Costa Rica? I was leading yoga retreats. Um, I lived in New York City for 10 years and opened up a yoga studio, started a whole movement, which is another story. But during that time, I started leading yoga retreats around the world. And I came to Costa Rica on one of the trips and it was driving towards the retreat center where we, where we were having the retreats. And there was a Century 21 sign outside. And when I looked at the Century 21 sign and then I looked through the entrance there was like this tunnel of bougainvilleas and hibiscus flowers. And at the end was the, you know, this turquoise ocean. And I just felt like home, <laughs> you know, there was this like calling again, purpose was knocking at the door of my heart. And, um, and then I, you know, the rest is sort of history. I went to the owner, we bought the property, um, and then opened up. Luosa. When this is right now, we're coming into our 14th year of being open. That's awesome. Wow. So, so you, people come and do their yoga, yoga retreats yes. with you in Costa Rica. And that's, that's your gig. Uh, yeah. I mean, Luosa, we, we have other yoga teachers like myself who bring their groups. So maybe Paul and Martin, one day you guys might have a fitness um, a power fitness or power fitness athlete. retreat. Huh? <laughs> I like that kind idea. Of, kind of retreat on the beach. Instead of lifting weights, you get people to haul coconuts around 
or climb trees for their coconut. <laughs> or, you know, um, we've got like uh -huh. lots of, you know, beach logs to move around. Um, we've had fitness people come and do that. It's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, people bring their own groups. Some people come for individual retreats. What I lead at Blue Osa primarily, I lead some retreats, but I primarily lead the yoga teacher trainings where we teach people about also applied yoga anatomy and muscle activation. So that's my, that's my biggest jam. I, I live or thrive in that kind of teaching place and showing people like how to get the muscles of their body working better. What is the day? What is the day, oh. the average day of a American expat living in Costa Rica teaching yoga teachers? <laughs> what is the average day? Normally I wake up like with the sun at five o'clock in the morning, grab my coffee, go down and watch the sunrise. Um, at Blue Osa, we practice morning silence until 730. So nobody talks to anybody until 730. Um, I'm putting that in my house. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's the best thing because the guests can't talk to you either. So um, they're not allowed to oh. complain or say anything until 730. <laughs> oh. um, is it Blue Osa is right on, that's right on the beach? Yeah, it, Blue Osa is located oh, like oh, right on the beach. It's actually the only... Uh, yoga retreat in Costa Rica that's located. There's a few in Costa Rica, but it's the only one that's located right on the beach. Oh, yeah, how's how's the surfing over there? It's fantastic. Is it good? There's fantastic. It's fantastic. Oh, right in, right in front of our place, you can go and and catch a lot of waves. Seriously, yeah. Martin's oh, in. Man. You spoke. Uh, you spoke. You I'm spoke in. to his heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm an island guy. <laughs> So um, no talk until 7.30, and then at 7.30, everybody lets out a bunch of words they've been thinking since 7.30, and then what's the rest of the day look like? You would, you would be surprised, Paul, when people practice silence, normally, not always, but normally people have become more thoughtful about what they're saying. And that's part of the practice. It's like when, when we retain our words, when we open our mouth, sometimes, not all the time, but some, some people, most people are a little bit more thoughtful, but we always have breakfast at 7.30. Fresh, you know, papaya, uh, pineapple, mango, uh, watermelon, uh, homemade granola, <laughs> yogurt. And, um, and then we usually do yoga, um, have a yoga practice. In my trainings, we have yoga from like 8 until 1130. So usually I do a little bit of lecture and then talking. And then there's like an hour break where people go to the beach or the pool. We have a beautiful pool. Um, sometimes when you're like floating in the pool, you know, face up, sometimes there's four species of monkeys like jumping around in the trees above you. Uh, and then we have lunch at 1230. And again, it's like home, you know, farm to table cuisine. And then we usually meet around 334 o'clock for class that takes us to six. And then we have dinner at 630. And then people usually go to bed by eight o'clock. And then are up in the next morning. <laughs> it's a good life. Wow. It's a good life. Wow. Yeah. You're talking about pools and oceans and monkeys and Martin's just like, I'm, yep, we're doing a retreat. I don't, it might not be, it might just be him. We're going to call it the squared away yoga fitness retreat and it'll yeah. just be Martin. Fit, you know, I'm going to find property. Yeah. 
really. Retreats are a really great thing for like, you know, teachers or fitness instructors or whatever you're, you're doing because it just embodies or you can just engender more community. And I think more than ever, people are feeling, you know, in a general, generally speaking, people are feeling more disconnected and retreats are just such a great way to bring, not only bring people together, but really forge um, a deeper sense of community and togetherness. Um, and that, that's kind of like the, the real message, I guess, of Blue Osa is like, let's, you know, we're all in this together. Let's come together and, and just breathe together, you know, be silent together, eat together. So one of the things that Blue Osa we do, like we have a few rituals. We don't have a lot because um, we don't want to make it too scary for people. But, you know, every night, like we always gather around the table and say prayer and um, and talk about the food and look at it. And, and it's just really lovely to see like, you know, 30 different strangers sometimes around our big table at night, you know, and just kind of breathing together and, and just being witness to what we're going to eat in fellowship. And for me, that's like a real way to connect to the sacred part of life. That's just, you know, that we all, I think are craving to connect to. So. I think that just the idea of conscious living, whether you're consciously thinking about the sunrise or consciously thinking about your drive to work or consciously thinking about your breakfast or anything, just being actually conscious of what you're doing versus your mind being in 37 different places while you're trying to do one thing and also need to get over to this other thing. And, and it's just slowing down and, and realizing how blessed we are to be talking monkeys on a you know spaceship <laughs> going thousands of miles through the through the interstellar neighborhood. It's just, it's, it's wild. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Yeah. Yeah. That's a Joe few, Rogan quote, by the way. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Not mine. In the last two <laughs> trainings I did, um, about 90% of the people that came said the number one reason why they were there is because they were feeling disconnected from their life. You know, they didn't feel at home in their bodies and, and in their life, in their, in their communities. So um, I think it's just something that we as, as instructors or teachers or guides or leaders, if we can provide that opportunity just for people to connect more. And as you just so beautifully said, like have awareness um, and mindfulness of the sun rising or what we're eating. It's just, we can just hold the space for that to happen. It's like the trend, just that little thing can transform people in profound ways. Oh. So Blue Osa is, uh, so that's retreats, but you also have a lot of local community folks come in as well? Um, not so much. You know, we're like right in the jungle, so we're not like necessarily easily accessible. Oh, wow. um, and we do we do have occasionally some community classes uh, where we do invite people um, to come, but it's more like for people that are coming on retreat and uh with wow. their community so a lot of like yoga teachers are bringing people like you know there's some like we just had a group from uh colorado from some small town in colorado and so she brought all of her students there and, and so it's just a way for people to travel together um and and visit different areas one of the things that i found by leading retreats and in the last kind of like 15 or so years 16 years i've led more than 100 uh, retreats around the world. And, but one of the things I always consistently found was like, one of the reasons why people wanted to travel with me was 
because they would never go there otherwise. Like when I remember the first time I led a retreat in the jungles of Costa Rica, like not one person in the group would have gone there on their own had I not brought them there. So by bringing people, you're, you're getting people out of their comfort zones. You're showing them something new. And that's such a big gift for so many people because <laughs> a lot of people won't yeah. do something, you know, unless, unless it's a resort on a beach, you know, that's contained, yeah. they usually won't, you know, go do something out of the box most of the time. So, so your nine to five is well, more relaxing true. than most of our weekends. So what do you do when you're not doing this? Are you like skydiving and motorbike racing and sharks, sharks swimming to sharks? Or what, what are we doing here on our weekends? Or our, our weekend, whatever your you know your weekend might be Monday Tuesday, but whatever it is. Um, I love hiking. Hiking is a big thing for me. I love um, one of the things I love about being in Costa Rica is that you know there's a whole kind of group of Costa Ricans who love to chase waterfalls, literally. And uh, so a lot of times on social media you'll see like new waterfalls pop up. I love going to those places. I, I, this country never ceases to amaze me. Um, just different places you can hike to and watch the sunrise. There's volcanoes that you can hike up to. I also um, love just relaxing by the pool sometimes. I know that sounds funny, but that's one of my favorite things. I love travel. I love going to different places. And I also love studying. Like right now, I'm continuing my muscle activation technique studies and doing their master's program. And so um, that's like I'm always keeping busy doing something. So to bring it back to why we have you here, I, I it, the idea of one muscle contracting, pulling another muscle into a stretch, right? Like you mentioned the glutes versus the hip flexors. Mm -hmm. Could you kind of just uh, kind of dig into that and teach teach us with 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 a layman's um, idea? But how if if we understand how that works, I think that that is going to be one of the big keys to everybody here listening to 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 think of the what you just thought of when you said that your groin tightened up. What is the opposite? Like, kind of talk about more of how that works. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, this is like such a fundamental like idea that you and I both learned in grade school, you know, this idea of agonist and antagonist muscle relationship. And so in order for a muscle to lengthen, um, another muscle, the opposite muscle has to contract properly. And so you think about like the biceps, you know, if you do arm curls, you're shortening the bicep, the triceps are lengthening. And so in my case, the hamstrings are really tight. Like it's just something I've always had to deal with. And I wish that somebody had said to me like, Aaron, your hamstrings are tight because your quads are tight and your hip flexors aren't, you know, contracting properly. And so you're dealing with, with tight hamstrings. Um, so, it, so the opposite muscle to the hamstrings is the quads, um, basically. And so if you get the quads contracting, if you get the quads starting to work properly, all of a sudden the hamstrings will start to naturally lengthen. Um, and if the, if you bend forward, for example, and try and touch your toes and, you know, most people can't even get past their knees sometimes. Um, and, and a lot of that is also other muscles. It's not just your hamstrings, but they sometimes can feel that pull on their hamstrings. 
because when they're folding forward, their quads are not shortening properly. They're not contracting and contracting on demand. And so there, that shows up as limited range of motion, right? So if there's limited range of motion, we need to flip the script on that and go, okay, well, what muscles are not shortening? My groin was tightening up because the other muscle wasn't shortening properly and, and it manifested as muscle tightness. So when we have a manifestation of muscle tightness, again, the bet you can do it a couple of different ways, but the easiest way to do it is just go to the opposite muscle. Ask yourself like what opposite muscle is tight. Here's by the way, a fun fact. So, uh, or a fun, also a fun story. Um, I also deal with neck problems. I have lower back problems and neck problems and I've had horrible neck issues. Um, but the last time my neck kind of seized up on me was a few years back and my trapezius muscle was locked. Like, I mean, if you kind of went into it with your thumb, it would be like hitting a board. So one day I was like, okay, this is crazy. What's the opposite muscle? There's actually a few with the traps. It kind of gets, you know, there's, there's a few antagonist agonists, but one of the antagonists, sorry, the agonist, the opposite muscle of the upper trap is lower trap. And so I just started doing some lower trap activations and my upper trap started to relax. And it, that's like, that's what I want people to start taking away from this. It, one of the things, there's a few things, but one of them is just start to ask yourself, like if you're feeling tightness, instead of going to, okay, we have to stretch this out, go to that place of where is the instability sourced? What would happen if I got those muscles working better? does the tightness go away? And most of the time it does. Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time it does. Awesome. Did um, that help? So that yeah. Yeah. No, that, that helps perfectly. I, I, I picked it up, but I also wanted it to kind of, you know, kind of, you know, pound it into these guys. Cause yeah. a lot of them, if, if they just think of that, it's it, right now, I'm already thinking like I pulled the sled 10 rounds, 300 pounds, my 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 hip flexors have been so sore for two days, mm. but I'm sure that that is coming out of my glutes because that was that was what I was using so much, right? So it's like I I get it now with you saying it. So I just wanted to really ramp but, home. But maybe your glutes weren't working, and your other muscles were starting to take over, and as a symptom of that, they've now started to tighten up because the body doesn't feel stable. So my prescription would be get a little bit of rest. And when I say rest, I mean, just a day or something like ease off rest, rest equals like easing off, backing off a bit, and then just starting to go through some different muscle activations. Make sure your psoas is activated. Make sure your glutes are, you know, activated. Make sure your back muscles are activated. If your back muscles aren't working, you know, other muscles are going to start taking over and um and then doing their job one of the things i just wanted to plug really quickly is on my youtube channel i have four hamstring videos and um and it's it's all like of course there's no stretching but it's all centered around this idea of like let's create more mobility in the hamstrings let's create more open hamstrings if you will and we do that just by engaging really engaging the quads i mean most of it is just about quad engagement yeah, and I'm gonna put I'm gonna put the links to the book. I'll put the links to um, your YouTube and any other links that you want. I'll have those in the show notes so people can just kind of open that up and click right through. They don't have to kind of yeah. search it out. 
you you mentioned that you go to CrossFit. How do we feel about foam rolling? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh. I mean, here's the thing. People that do foam rolling, do they ever stop? What, uh, what do you mean? No. Well, no, because they're That's always, true. No, they don't. They're always foam rolling. They always need to foam roll. Yeah. They, you know, again, like what are they foam rolling? Well, they're foam rolling their hamstrings. Why are the hamstrings tight? Tight? Because the quads aren't aren't working. They're maybe trying to foam roll their IT bands. That's a popular one. Um, oh, and that IT hurts. Bands. Like you might as well just hit hit yourself with a truck. Yeah, but it's 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 unnecessary pain. So TFL tensor fasciae latae and the IT bands are tight because again they usually act, start taking over the glutes. And so there's a direct relationship between TFL and glutes. If we get the glutes working, guess what happens to TFL? It starts relaxing. By the way, just as a side note, not to throw too many monkey wrenches into this, but I've actually been discovering that there's a relationship between the quadratus lumborum and the QL. And I've been finding like if I can get people's QLs to start firing properly, the, the TFL just completely relaxes. And a lot of people have hip pain in their TFL. It's just something I've been noticing recently, like getting the QL activated solves a lot of problems and a lot of dysfunctions in the hip hip area. That's causing a lot of people to have strain in their, you know, in the, around the hips and, and that sort of thing. So first 10, 20 minutes oh. activation before yeah. we lift. Got it. At least 15 yeah. minutes. Put 15 six, minutes aside. Six seconds, yeah. six times. I can do that. Six seconds, six times. I got yeah. that. That I one's got it in here now. <laughs> I know. Some people go, oh my God, I've got like this hour and a half routine. Now I've got to do 15 minutes more. But it li- listen, most of you guys are doing stretches beforehand or and or afterwards. Just substitute it for muscle activations. You do not want to stretch anymore um, because when you're stretching, you're, again, disconnecting the brain from the muscle. The brain doesn't know where the muscle is, and the muscle loses its ability to contract and contract on demand. And, uh, I mean, if you guys could see it and feel it, you would know what I'm talking about. It's really amazing stuff. So what do you do when you go into CrossFit? Because they go right into stretching right away. So do you go in 15, 20 minutes early and do muscle activation before? I, I've i been to the CrossFit classes pre- I've been to. They generally speaking um, do some sort of, I wouldn't call it activations, but they do some sort of, I guess, warm up like around core and like I remember one class, we did all of these kind of shoulder stuff, which I th- actually thought was cool because I was like, hey, this oh. I can feel like my muscles starting to activate. Um, but <laughs> at the end of class, they're always stretching. And my teacher always yells at me, Aaron, you're missing the most important part. And I'm like, oh, you have no idea how much I'm not. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, just I, I just don't stretch anymore. I don't find the need for it. And in my mind, you know, after, especially after a CrossFit class, theoretically, your muscles are activated, they're pumped, they're connected. There's a lot of proprioception, theoretically, between brain and the muscles. So, you know, stretching is going to just completely take that off the table and, and ruin it. So 
I don't like to do that after I've, I've, yeah. And is there a time yeah. to stretch? Um, I kind of hummed and hawed about this for a while, but now I'm saying, no, don't do it. Just don't stretch. <laughs> Perfect. I'll, I got that. I'm in. Don't do it. <laughs> wow. Activation. That's all I'm doing now. Yeah. It's just, you, you'll find like your injuries will go down so much. You know, I used to be really into uh, the gym. I still am. I still love working out and, and working with weights and, and that sort of thing. But <clears throat> I used to ha get pain sometimes in my shoulder. And so what did I do? All of these kind of stretches, walk up to a wall, try and stretch my pectoral muscles. Yeah. And guess what? The pain never went away. It actually got worse and worse and worse. And then the only thing that got rid of the pain was resting. I'd have to stop working out for two weeks or three weeks or just do more cardio or something. And then I would go, okay, now I'm ready to go back to the gym. It feels better. And then the pain would come back or a different pain. And then I would start stretching it again. And it was just this constant cycle. And it, it never really understood like, hey, you, you know, the stretching is actually making it worse. Um, unfortunately, I didn't realize that at the time. So yeah, stop stretching. <laughs> awesome. You got anything else, Martin? No, it's it's good. Now I got to change all my uh, you know processes here. That's <laughs> good. Lots to learn. Yeah, that's good. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you a ton, Aaron. You just I'm gonna have to listen to this again and just unpack everything. Um, but do you want to plug any plug your book, plug your your social media, and then uh, I'll put the links in the end of the show notes. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, if your listeners want to learn more, I mean, check out my podcast series. It's it's more of a, a storytelling series um, that stops stretching and uh, definitely get the book. Go to Amazon um, and just get it. It'll be one of the most educational books you've ever read about the human body because nobody else is talking about this stuff and approaching anatomy in a functional way. Um, and trying to teach people how to apply this into their life so that when they go shopping and bend down to pick up their grocery bags, that their back isn't going to go out. <laughs> or when you're working out with Paul or Martin, that you're not, your back's not going to go out as you lift that 300 pounds. You mean when we're uh, in Costa Rica lifting logs on the beach? Logs, hey, I'll be sipping coconuts. <laughs> People can also can find me on, plug, uh, on uh, I'm sorry, Martin. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, are you going to plug uh, Blue Osa as well? Yeah, sure. I mean, people can find um, find all of that connected to my website. It's a gateway to everything, the practices, uh, yogiaron.com. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. It's been Appreciate a lot of fun. It. Yeah, that's Excellent, and we all have great internet connections, so it's